Welcome to Account Trends, everybody. I'm Jason Stein with Intuit Accountants. My co-host, David Bergstein, and I are excited to be with you every couple of weeks to share the latest news, interesting perspectives, and hottest trends in the tax and accounting world. We'll have special guests on the show to help break these trends down and give you food for thought as you find new ways to deliver for your clients. But most importantly, we plan on having some fun while doing it. Welcome. Welcome back to Account Trends, everybody. Jason Stein here, your host, with uh, my partner in crime co-host, Mr. David Bergstein. Glad to have you here as always, David. Glad to be here. Look, looking forward to talking to fellow podcasters today. Yes, we have some cool guests today. Actually, two guests, which is uh, not something we normally have. Uh, we have. We have with us uh, Mr. Blake Oliver and Mr. David Leary. Welcome, guys. Hey, everybody. Hey, Dave. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having us. Hello. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate you being here. Really appreciate it. Uh, so, you know, some of our listeners may already be familiar with you guys, but uh, would you mind just quick intro and tell us about what you do in the profession? David, I'll let you take that. I'll go first. Um, so I almost worked as, at Intuit as long as you have, Jason. I was at Intuit almost 22 years. Wow. Um, left in 2018. But my whole career, like you are, we never actually crossed paths because you are always on the tax side. My whole career is on the QuickBooks side. So mm-hmm. I started doing tax support for QuickBooks DOS and you know every role since. My last six years at Intuit, I spent building out the QuickBooks app store. So all these apps, you know, T-Sheets, the bill.coms, the auto entries, the receipt banks, all those apps like that, Expensifies, Rick launched all those apps, build them out on the platform. And then uh, after that, I left and went to auto entry. Auto entry got purchased, then left. I was at Melio for a little while. Melio's in QuickBooks. It powers the bill pay powered by Melio and QuickBooks. And then during this whole time, Blake and I have been doing this podcast for four years. And now we're kind of professional podcasters. Like we really don't have, I really don't have another job per se directly. It's really podcasting. And for me, I did the opposite of David. I came into technology after having a career in accounting. Got my start as a bookkeeper. I was a career changer, had my own firm. I went to work for a big firm. I didn't quite fit in there. We can talk about that. Uh, And then I went to work for two tech companies where I worked in product marketing. So I got to see how a tech company works versus an accounting firm. And they are incredibly different. And I learned a ton from that, that I then now try to apply to understanding how we can improve our profession, how we can move forward, modernize, avoid becoming irrelevant. And uh, yeah, so I've been doing this full time now with David for about a year. Uh, Again, like, yeah, our podcast provides us a full-time living. We have a media company that we've started. We're producing other podcasts, I started producing a show called Oh My Fraud, which is a true crime podcast for (laughs) accountants hosted by Greg Kite and Caleb Newquist. It's hilarious. We have a show with Laurelyn Wilson uh, that is um, about uh, interviews with other uh, influencers, thought leaders about the future of the profession. Um, So check those out. That's called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly Accounting Podcast. And of course, listen to The Cloud Accounting Podcast, the OG podcast in our roster. Uh, and uh, I have an app that offers continuing professional education for listening to podcasts. So all of the podcasts that we produce go onto the app called Earmark CPE, and you can get CPE for listening to them. And I just signed up for that yesterday. Now I got to put my credit card in today. <laughs> awesome. And I should say, uh, 
you can use it for free, although David Bergstein must pay. But there is a it's free if you want to get one credit per week. Uh, hopefully you enjoy it. You want to support us. You'll buy an annual subscription and then you get unlimited. So if you've got a deadline coming up, you need 10 hours, go get it listening to podcasts. And hopefully, literally this episode, in theory, we could put on there and you can listen yeah. to this specific episode and go get credit for this episode you're listening to right now. That is right. I think that's a cool thing that you guys are doing it because, you know, the the CPE space, being the education leader, right? And I've, I've been in my current role for you know, about seven or eight years now, but I've I've been in the education arena for this profession for for the better part of 20 years. Um, and, and there's been z- practically zero innovation in this space, you know? Uh, and so doing doing podcasting with CPE available to it, I think is really awesome. Gives people a different way to earn their credits. Hopefully it's more exciting and entertaining and engaging. And I love your um your your fraud uh podcast. The I've listened to one or two of those like um that style and it's really it's really a neat spin. So I love that you're doing that. Everyone loves true crime. True crime is like the number one podcast genre. So that's why we said we got to make a true crime podcast for accountants. And there are other there are other fraud shows out there, but they don't focus on like the 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 stuff accountants want to know, which is like how did it happen how do we stop it from happening yeah so we just did an episode on ppp fraud that's a really good one because i don't know if you guys are aware but that was like the biggest fraud in history potentially yeah yeah Yeah, tons of that tons of that still uncovering people who have committed fraud yeah oh yeah yeah and only like the latest number i saw from march was like 178 people have been charged but this is 80 billion dollars like thousands and thousands of fraudsters involved in this like Will they ever be held accountable? I'm not confident. Well, we'll I don't know. I mean, didn't we hear about a big firm? I don't remember the name and we don't need to say it on on here, but <laughs> there was a big firm that just got raided by the FBI over all that. Um, oh, yeah. Well, and actually, that's totally different. That's oh, R&D, that tax, different. Oh, that's, that's wait, R&D that was... tax credit fraud and, yeah. and um, Section 179D fraud. <laughs> and so, like, there's, so... they didn't... This is the golden age of fraud, guys. Like I'm convinced with crypto, with the the regulators totally not paying attention, totally under-resourced, if you want to say that, uh, or just incompetent, whatever, however you like to look at it. Um, <laughs> right, both sides of the aisle. Disclosure and to it values our relationship with our governing <laughs> authorities and well, partners. When but, we talk to the IRS, yeah, we, I mean they're so underwater. It's yeah. it's. I mean, how can they? They can't even keep up with the tax trends right now. Exactly. And they know it. They know it. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> so it's a weird time. There's an we area in. now where people are committing fraud every day, but uh, oh, yeah, there's yeah. no record keeping. No, it's crazy. These crypto banks, I mean, they act like banks, but they're not regulated by banks. They're regulated by four different agencies that all take kind of a different approach and don't really regulate them. And they've stolen billions and billions of dollars from regular working class Americans. And I think it's a travesty. And you know, the SEC's out there saying like, well, we're not really sure if Bitcoin is a security or if Ethereum is a security. So, yeah. we're d- and then of course, you know, two thirds of the value evaporates and all these people who are putting money in on Cash App or whatever, you can invest, David will tell you, you can buy crypto with any any app now. I had right? changed I had changed at the grocery store and I put it in one of those machines and I bought crypto. Yeah, 
It's all a coin machine. Crypto from Amazon. You see my hands? I got, I got a crypto coin right here. Yeah. Poor David. Who's going to tell him that crypto is not something you can touch? It's almost like, you know, I don't think these guys are like the guys that are supposed to be regulating this. I think they're just kind of like not even really aware of the scope of it. You know, right. now they right. are. Now they are after the big crash. But and maybe that'll change some things, I hope anyway. I, I'm sorry. I've taken us way off. off <laughs> no, yeah. But that's OK, because we're here to talk about. You know, the things that we've learned in, in doing these podcasts, you guys have been at this for way longer than David and I have. You know, we just launched in October, but I, for one, you know, on this journey, have learned just so much from guests. And, you know, talking about the the crypto stuff, like we just did uh, we just did a podcast episode not long ago with a, with another expert, Sonia, uh, Sonia Dema, and she's, you know, an educator on the profession on crypto. And she was saying the exact same things, you know, uh, they just, they're just trying, they're still cracking the nut on it. And the IRS, uh, you know, it doesn't know how to issue the guidance yet because it's just still this nebulous space. But, but coming back to the trends, yeah, like very relevant. So no worries there, Blake. Okay, um, good. But I want to, I want to shift over to David because David, you had, you know, uh, you had some thoughts too, as we were talking about the show around like audit and and tax and what's going on with that space, right? Yeah, I think if we like, there's like the hot trends, like what's going on in the last like four to six months. And then there's trends and learnings we've had like over time of the podcast. And I think just to wrap up the blockchain, Bitcoin, Metaverse thing, when we started the podcast, like that was everybody's march, right? Oh, you as a firm owner need to learn about blockchain. You as a firm owner need to learn about Bitcoin and all of this was going on. And it really turns out it's not here. Right. Like everybody's, oh, you're going to have these ledgers and that's how you're going to do audit all through the blockchain and would be here four years later of doing the podcast. It's not here and it's probably not going to be for a very long time. So you kind of these long term trends, which a lot of the short term trends don't come as fast as we all think they're going to. I think it's probably the big learning we've seen on the the podcast. But one of the big ones, the last what nine months has been that separation of audit and tax. And the whole, some of it is driven by government regulation, right? In the UK, they want to break up the big four. Some of it's driven by private equity. Nobody wants the tax division, right? Or nobody wants the audit division. They just want the cash division or they just want to buy the advising part of a company, right? So there's a lot of uh, market factors happening causing this separation to continue. Yeah. I I think that's really on point, David, because, you know, our our profession has operated relatively the same way with the exception of the introduction of technology you know making things easier the structure and, and the work that we've done for what decades even centuries uh and so we're in a really interesting time in our profession and you know you hear about um you know on top of the the separation of audit tech there's so much to unpack with what you just said which leads us into a really <laughs> interesting conversation too about like if we look at our crystal ball, what does the future of this profession look like, you know, structurally as it relates to the firms and the work that they do? Because people are, you know, there's plenty of firms out there making a ton of money on compliance work. And they're like, we're good, you know. But then there's others that maybe just don't want to deal with that because the model a bill around compliance work doesn't doesn't work for them as you're trying to implement, you know, subscription models and value pricing and stuff like that, which are just, you know, they're trendy terms that we throw around, but they're very real things that people are are doing. And, you know, you look at, I've heard of, you know, big firms splitting off 
uh, even for advisory. They 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 take the CAS and the advisory split off. EY just did that. Um, and I I think that's that's a very big indicator of what's to come. And then we've had yeah. guests on the show like Alan Colton, who's talked about, you know, the introduction of VC and, and private equity coming in. And that's gonna change a lot. And I don't think yeah. I don't think it's blatantly obvious. You know, like you start to peel back those layers and I think it's really interesting. Um, you know, like, yeah. Blake, what do you, I mean. Well, well, so, you know, Dave, so you, you brought up something really interesting, Jason, which is a uh, kind of an assumption that I had as well about the profession, which is that it's been the same way for a long time. And it has, that's true. But at the same time, in the context of history, it really hasn't because I, I, I wanted to know more about accounting firms and why they are the way they are and, and accounting regulations and rules. So I actually bought a book on the history of accounting and I started reading it. And it's funny, it's not one of those things you learn as a CPA. Like they don't have a history of accounting course, which I feel like they should. That should be like part of the CPA exam, right? Know where we've come from so we know where we're going. And the, the my big takeaway from this, without giving you the entire history, is that modern accounting and accounting standards, that developed about 150 years ago at the end of the 18, 1800s during the Gilded Age when we got big railroads. It was, that was the first time anyone really needed audits because you had all these European investors who were pouring money into America where we were building cross railroads across the country. We were powering the Industrial Revolution with this investment. And those investors needed audited financial statements. And it was actually the Scots who were the first chartered accountants that came over to the US and did these audits and created these firms. And, and the, I'm, I'm, I think some of the big four can actually trace their lineage all the way back to that point. And then modern accounting standards or, or the way accounting firms are run kind of like solidified in like 1910, 1920 with the whole evolution of the timesheet. And we've only been doing that for about 100 years. So in the grand context of human history, accounting is very young, right? Modern accounting, Modern the way we think of it. Right. Yeah. Like right. The, I mean, we had debits and credits. The fundamentals of accounting have been around a long time, but yeah, you're exactly right. right? And I feel like I remember that railroad story. I, I did a, a keynote for one of our VCONs and um, it had, it's had, there was something that had to do with um, the creation of the EA designation too, right? Or am I mixing my, my history? I have no idea. Like I'm, I'm not an expert on this. Well, because uh, but, they... They needed people to be able to represent folks before the government. Mm -hmm. And there had to be like this trust factor. And so they, they established the EA designation. I don't remember exactly when that was. I'd have to go look it up. But I think the thing we can say is that like all the licenses are actually relatively new, newish, mm -hmm. right? It's only been generations. It hasn't been that many, like what, five to 10 generations, depending on how you count it. And, and so I think that accounting will continue to evolve. And, and part of the problem is that like this, this model that was developed at the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, just doesn't fit the world we live in today, both from an accounting standard standpoint and from just the way firms are run. The whole idea of like a partnership model, like why would that be ideal, right? And right. you see, and going back to what you were talking about with the private equity investment, we see firms, pretty sizable ones like Eisner Amper, Cherry Bakert, EY either doing it or talking about splitting off their audit practice into a separate business so that they can run 
tax and consulting and casts all under a corporate model. And I believe my prediction, David and I like to do annual predictions. So I'm going to do mine in advance this year. <laughs> mid-year, and claim mid-year. It. Yes. Mid-year prediction is a preview. The partnership model is not competitive in a rapidly changing environment. It is by nature conservative, which is good sometimes, but bad other times. And I think that it's under threat. And we're seeing more and more small firms switch off of the partnership model to a corporate model and giving employees stock options like technology companies instead of having them buy into a partnership. Mm-hmm. And just from my own experience, having worked for a company that had that, like, you know, Intuit has this, right? Uh, all tech companies do this. It's kind of a standard thing. It, it really motivates people in a way that a uh, path to partnership doesn't really motivate young people anymore. We don't want to work at the same company for 20 years, generally. Right. Hoping for and, that lottery ticket at the end, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, by the way, it's grueling hours of mindless data entry, right? You know, yeah. starting at the entry-level positions. Um, and our talent coming in is telling us, we don't want to do that. We're not doing that. And that's why we have such a problem with it. And, and it's it, also you know, changing, I think, the definition of what is an accounting firm. At some level, that's getting very gray yeah. now because these are separated. I mean, you can even look, I think, in June... Um, the latest Intuit earnings call, like TurboTax Live is a billion dollar business now, <laughs> which puts you as, if, if, if the tech, I mean, TurboTax Live is kind of like an accounting firm, which would make Intuit have like the 10th, 11th, 12th, top, easily a top 20 biggest accounting firm based on revenue, right? Yeah. I think that's pretty close, right? Like, I think the numbers. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah I definitely. Can't confirm the numbers. Wait, you're probably would, right. I haven't read the earnings call, but it would definitely be one of the biggest. And another big change we saw uh, was, the inclusion of a non-CPA firm for the first time in the Accounting Today Top 100 list. Number 100 this year is a firm called Your Part-Time Controller, Your Part-Time Controller, LLC, I believe. They have 400-plus controllers who work almost exclusively with not-for-profits around the country providing outsourced accounting services. They don't uh, do... I don't believe they do tax. They don't do audit. They are not a CPA firm and they've broken into the top 100. That is a milestone. And we're going to see, I think, more and more firms either divest the audit and become non-CPA firms, or we're going to see the non-CPA firms that are small grow. And and I I see that in like the sub 100 person firm category. A lot of the most innovative firms are not CPA firms. They choose not to be because they know they can make way more money and have less hassle not doing audit. Yeah. You know, audit isn't what it was once. You know, uh, I, I see that from my perspective also. Most of the CPA firms are becoming professional service firms. Yeah. Where they used to say XYZ CPA firm. They're now saying consulting firm. Accounting uh, is the lost leader to get people to do accounting, but money is really on the other end of it, the advisory service. And the advisory mm-hmm. services can be anything that the business needs. So yeah. they tried to do that way back in the 60s. I know you are too young. You know, when I hit up, you're 22 years, you're 22 years, and you're 22 years. Uh, we tried to do that back then. It uh, used to be, and, and CBiz, I think, is the only survivor of uh, transitioning from an accounting firm to a consulting firm. I got Mayor Hoffman McCann on one side, and he got CBiz on the other. American Express tried to buy firms way back when. I don't think anything's changed over the years. I think people want to be innovative. I think the model wants to change, uh, but you couldn't do it. Way back when the AICPA put together a plan uh, for technology, that technology plan 
is really what's in use today. Now you can do it. You couldn't do it. You thought about it. You dreamt about it. Uh, but technology has changed. But I do agree totally with you, Blake. It's the small firms that are growing. And a lot of these small firms don't call themselves CPA firms, but they got CPAs in it, accountants. You know, you look at Pilot now. Uh, that's going to become one of the largest. And it's not an accounting firm, but they're offering every accounting and tax service other than audit across the board. Uh, and they have Jeff Bezos personally invested in them. Right. You know, like, wow. I'm, I'm not in the habit of betting against the founder of Amazon. I, I, right? Like, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously you have a, a legal, legal Zoom. Now they're doing, they're offering bookkeeping services. There's a lot of companies starting to do this. But is there something dry? Like, maybe I'll rephrase this. So I guess I have a question for you, Jason and, and Dave. Like, I'm starting to also see where it feels like firms, especially firms that are like growing, they're really solving for customers. So maybe you decided you want to be a CFO. Well, you can't be a CFO if you don't have good bookkeeping. So they're like, all right, I guess we're going to offer bookkeeping services. Then once you have that relationship with the client, maybe the client's like, hey, can you do my personal taxes too? But no, no clients are going, hey, can you do some audit services for me? So are, are you seeing this where people are building their firm based on what the customers want? Right. Or the other the other option, obviously, is just we're going to do one thing in scale, right? There's kind of the two situations. Uh, yeah, absolutely to the first one. I, the, the thing uh, about our profession, I love how much our, our accounting profession loves and focuses on its clients. And I would say almost to the point of a fault. We're so like, that's part of the whole value pricing conversation. When I ask people, you know, well, hey, if it takes you three minutes to do something that took you three hours before, but you charge the same price, why is that a bad thing? And I get, well, it just feels like we're taking advantage of the client. It's like, you're not. You're giving the client something of value. It doesn't matter how much time it took you. And so that whole conversation. Um, but I think that that people are evolving, David, to your point. And um, I think that... I think it's it's a really interesting point that Blake brings up around, you know, are we looking at the potential end of the partnership model uh, in our profession? Because even, even partners are like, we, we don't know how to solve this problem. Uh, we don't know how to solve the staffing problem, right? And, and what's interesting is the problems, the crises that we have in our profession are a result of so much blue sky ahead and so much opportunity that I, I just, I, it's astounding. Uh, David, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Bergstein. <laughs> we got two Davids on the show today. <laughs> well, I was, I, well, I was going to agree with the other David up front in terms of what's changing out there. But, you know, is it the partnership model or is it a compensation and innovation model? And, and maybe the uh, corporate world works better in that. But these changes are going to continue to come. And when you're talking well, about David. what comes first. Yep. It's the client's needs that come first. And a client doesn't say, hey, give me an audit. A client says, hey, I want to start a business. I know how to bake. I know how to do this. Mr. or Miss Accountant, can you tell me what I should do? How can I be more liquid, solvent, and profitable? That's what you're coming to the financial accounting expert for, helping grow their business. You got to be able to solve for what their needs are. Right. And the problem with the, the partnership model when it comes to innovation and I believe these are wrapped up together, compensation and the partnership model. I mean, those partnership model is compensation model. That's how people are compensated. So you have this separation of partners and staff, and there's a clear delineation. You do not participate generally in the equity of the firm, the profits of the firm, unless you are a partner. 
and you have to work. You have to put in the time to become one, right? And that worked when people tended to be employed at the same company for many years, like my grandfather, who worked for insurance company for his entire career. It doesn't work well when people are switching jobs a lot. And, and actually, in that case, the being a partner can feel like being stuck. You feel like you're a prisoner of the firm because now you've got everything tied into that firm. You can't leave or you give that up. And all your compensation is deferred until you retire. Like it's kind of a crazy situation. And then where the where the innovation struggles is, you know, in, in a partner model, they're not all like this, but generally you have to build consensus. You have to get a majority of the partners to agree yeah. to anything. And in a time of like disruption and uncertainty, no plan is going to offer you certainty. Uh, and so it's really hard to get people to agree on anything. And that's why in a company with a CEO who can just say, I hear everyone, but we're going to do this and you're going to be okay with it. You know, that, that works better. There's a reason the military isn't run by consensus, <laughs> you know, like you don't <laughs> vote. Right. Well, that's why there's so um, many solo practitioners out there who are small firms. They want to be able to grow. They want to be innovative and they don't want to be stuck by consensus. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then I think the, I used to blame like <laughs> in my younger days, like 10 years ago, if you'd asked me what's wrong with the profession, I probably would have pointed to a bunch of boomer partners and said, they're the problem. As I've aged, I realized that. say timesheets. <laughs> well, and, and timesheets too. Um, but Baker that's would. actually, <laughs> so those are a symptom of the business model, which is right. the generally the partnership model, which is um, because we, 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 for, we, we extract everything we can from staff. And then if you stick it through and make it to partner, now it's your turn to, uh, for lack of a better analogy, suck at the teat of the firm, right? You get to enjoy the fruit of your labor finally, right? And when you get to that point, you have every incentive to, for the time you are a partner, to just take as much money as you can, because now you finally get to take into that pot of money. You don't have an incentive to invest in the long-term health of the firm beyond your retirement date. There is, there is no equity in the earnings after you leave, generally. Usually your compensation is locked in when you leave based on your book of business. So it's all about growing my personal book of business. It's not about improving the firm as a whole. And that is why partners don't invest in technology. They don't invest in changing processes because that takes out of their personal paycheck. So now, now again... You're making a broad statement, and, and I'm, yeah. you know I don't necessarily disagree with you, but it's not all firms. It, no, right, right. I was going to clarify that too. Invest, they want to grow. They see the bigger picture, and right, maybe that, they change and, their model to an LLC somewhere right. along the way. And I think that's actually a, it's not a problem as much in smaller firms because, right, like in a smaller firm, if you don't make those changes, you're not going to be able to sell your firm, and so people kind of start to see that. In a mid-sized firm, though, where you've got lots of partners, but you're not enormous, the budgets for all that innovation, like it's going to come out of your paycheck. It costs to innovate, right? It's, a, it's an investment and it comes from the partners. And so um, unless, you, unless you have a model where like they're going to, like in a corporation, the investors understand I'm investing for future dividends and I'm not going to be working at the company when that happens, right? Like there's a separation, but in the partner model, it's all tied up together. And so you don't get investment. It actively discourages investment beyond my tenure. As and a that partner. makes sense because we saw the survey 
we talked about what two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Carbon has their practice excellence survey. And they had this data on, you know, the firms and where they're at in kind of the innovation spending and management curves and all these types of things. And one of the stats showed the um, average revenue per employee. And they go through a phase where they're investing in scaling, they're investing in um, processes and just getting better and innovation. And when they do that, their profit per employee drops, dra- oh. revenue per employee drops drastically. So it's plummets. Yeah. And this is what Blake's saying. So if you're a partner and you already said, why are you going to do that? Like, why, why would you sacrifice right. to inc- make sure this lasts another decade or tw- 20 years from now? Right. right. Especially when, you know, maybe if you're in a, if you're in a decent, decently sized firm, you're making half a million dollars a year, right? Why would I cut my paycheck in half to innovate when I'm just going to take that half a million dollars for the next 10 years and then retire? Like, it's just, and I'm not blaming them. That's just the way the system's right. set up, right? Like, that's just how it is. And yeah. and that's why firms innovate today, because if they don't reinvest and innovate, they're going to be losing to the competition. That's yeah. not, it's a weird not really, though. Not really, though, David, because there's such a talent shortage. That, like, CP, and there aren't enough CPAs. So I can well, fail to, to innovate. CPA is another question that we'll save for another time <laughs> in the non-audit world. Yeah. So what I what I love about this conversation, just to kind of put a bow on it, is you know Blake, especially with your last comment, right? We're not we're not sitting here saying partners are terrible people. In fact, I love your story about like if I had to point my finger at something, it would be them in the past. But really, what what we're talking about is the inherent problems that partners are probably already aware of and. Yeah, you know, even their reports um, <clears throat> around the the problem with the model. Yeah, and and so it's like, well, I don't, you know, I don't have a reason, a burning platform, as we would say in the corporate world, to change that. Um, so it's got to kind of the environmental factors are just starting to force it to change. And um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But yeah, it's you know, it's all those points. It's the model and the structure, and that doesn't mean you know, we're saying all partnerships should just, you know, go get destroyed or whatever. Um, I, I think that there's there's opportunities for for partnerships to thrive also, um, but it, it does seem to be getting in the way of the things that firm partners want to be able to do, but just feel like their hands are tied. And what we are seeing is, and what I think will happen with partnerships, like it honestly doesn't even matter whether you're a like an LLC or a partnership, what matters is the compensation structure. And right. I think we saw that with Eisner Amper, where the partners now are shareholders in the consulting entity. So that's, that is, that is what we want. And then they are incentivized because they can, they can hold on to those shares and sell them when they're retired. So they want to see the firm succeed long-term. Maybe they're going to pass those shares down to their kids, right? It's a, you couldn't do that before unless your kid became a partner, right? right. So, so that's, very promising. And I, and my next thing would be start offering equity to the managers and to your senior staff. Like, why not? They will work so much harder for you if they have a piece of the action. And, and in this talent shortage, like that's how you're going to attract people, you know? A perfect, perfect way to cap off the episode that, because you're, you're, you're exactly right. And Really interesting reflections on how all these trends are are intertwined and they're they're playing a role and and brushing up against each other and, and some of them even directly correlated. 
Um, it just it, it's really going to be interesting to see how things play out. So, guys, um, I, we gotta we gotta wrap up. Last thing, you talked about your um, your podcast programs earlier. Um, Want to make sure we get the URL. What's the what's the URL I, we should send everybody to to come listen to you guys and keep learning? I won't pitch it because I already did. Just go to earmarkcpe.com, earmarkcpe.com to get CPE for listening to podcasts. Perfect. Blake, David, really happy to have had you on the show today. Hopefully we get to do this again because I think we could probably talk for a long time about the stuff that we're learning out there. Thanks, Jason. Mr. Bergstein, always a pleasure. And uh, with that, we'll end the show. And uh, till next time. Thanks for listening. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star review. If you want to learn more about any of the topics discussed on the show, visit intuitaccountants.com forward slash podcast. Account Trends is produced and edited by Luke Johnston. Copyright Intuit 2022.